that you will know. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? Heavenly Father, we want to know these things. We want to know that we know that we know. And God, I just pray, like Paul, that you would give us revelation, that you would give us wisdom, that you would open up our eyes so that we would see the goodness of your gospel. And we would never be the same because of it. We thank you for Jesus and for your word that speaks to us today. Would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, amen. Put your hands together. Come on, give me, give me a little bit more than that. Put your hands together. You can be seated. A couple years back, I get a call from my dad. He's not here today, so I can talk about him. He's not here. He called me, and he was frantic. He said, Ralph, I just got robbed. He's Hispanic, so he was a lot more complicated than that. Mijo! Mijo! No, hombre, mijo, no. They took my money, and I'm, I'm thinking, my dad just got jumped. He got mugged. Someone beat him up. And he's going on and on about his money, and he lost $10,000. And I'm like, whoa. First, why you have that much money? Two, why don't you let me borrow some? Let me hold some. Why don't you call me and tell me you had some money I could use? And then third, I'm like, wait a minute. Really explain to me what happened. How did someone take $10,000? They robbed me. Oh, I'm looking for them, and I don't know what to do. And I, Look, I'm a man. I know when he's buying time. He's a man. He's trying to buy time and make up a story in his head. He's trying to come up with answers. And I'm like, Dad, hey, it's me and you here. No one's going to know, as I tell the whole church. What happened? He says, some, some, I was in my shop, and, I, and look, when they start giving too many details, you know something's wrong. I was in my shop. I was working. I was just sanding down this, this project that I had to do, and it's a lot of work, and I was just concentrating, and I had my music on, and I was dancing, dancing to this cumbia, and I was going. And then I hear someone knock, but I don't know who it is, so I don't really pay attention. And I'm like, Dad, tell me what happened. He goes, this man was in my shop, and he said, I need help. And you know me, I'm a good person. He wants help, I'm going to help him. But here come the excuses. My dad's about to hit me with all the excuses. I, he said he, he needed to open a bank account. And that he had $50,000 in his pocket. And he pulls out this envelope, Ralph, and it's filled with money. And he told me, I, I can't open up a bank account. I don't have my passport. But you... If can, you can open up a bank account for me, and if you do that, I'll give you $25,000. But before I do that, let's, let's go to the bank. My dad sees this guy, sees the money, and says, let's go. 
hops in his little truck. They go to the bank. He goes, so you can open a bank account for me? Yes, I can. Absolutely. My dad just confident. Yes, I, absolutely I can. I open up an account for you. He goes, okay, but I don't know if I trust you, the guy says. I'm going to give you a lot of money to help me do this. Can you pull out like 10 grand? How much money do you got? I have 10 grand. Great. Can you pull that money out? And can you bring it? And then we can deposit all of this money together and you can take this $25,000. My dad's like, sure. Goes in, pulls $10,000 out, comes back out, hands it to the man to count it. All of a sudden, some dude comes knocking on the window, says there's an accident, come look. The man gets out of the car, takes off, jumps into a car, gone. $10,000, gone. My dad goes, oh, well, I got 50000 in the truck that he left. Runs over there. It's all fake money. He called us and he was like, I lost all of this money. I lost all of it. And, and my mom, ooh, my mom, pobrecito, my dad. Poor guy. For all you, all of, all of you non, from non-Hispanic backgrounds, poor guy. My mom, hits it. My, he was going to have to talk to my mom about their money. And I remember my mom, after all the crazy words that she spoke to him, said, didn't you recognize that it's too good to be true? Didn't you recognize that there is no way this man is going to give you 25? Didn't you recognize it's too good to be true? What's wrong with you? I think most of us are, when we look at these scriptures in Ephesians, when we look at what we've been learning these past five weeks, when we look at the truths of what Jesus has done for us, what he does for us, what he gives us, what he accomplishes for us, our salvation, our, our redemption, our forgiveness, our predestination, our, our sealing, our eternity secure, all of that. I think most of us, we stand there and we say, that's too good. It doesn't make sense. And I think most of us, because it doesn't make sense, we don't, we're struggling to really live by this truth. Paul, after he wrote most of chapter 1, he realized, man, I have given you so many deep, impactful truths. I need to take a break, he says, and I need to pray for you because I know that you're confused. And if you've been in the house churches the past couple weeks, you know there are a bunch of y'all who are confused, who are asking questions, who don't really understand this because you have probably never heard this stuff before. You've probably never been told that the moment you believed in Jesus, that exact moment, you were saved and sealed for all eternity. You probably have never heard that. 
You've probably been on the hamster wheel of Christianity, working and running and running. It's like jumping on a treadmill, running with all you have, but going nowhere. That's the Christianity that you and I are used to. This good news that really isn't good, it just tires us out. And so you look at this stuff and you say, I don't really know that it's too good. What do you mean I can come to Jesus at 13 and believe and instantly be forgiven for all of the crazy things I've ever done? And eternity is guaranteed. Doesn't make sense. Paul realizes that. And so he, he pauses to pray. And in probably the most simple three verses in this whole first chapter, it's the most difficult for me to preach to you. Because it's, it's Paul realizing this might be too much to understand. And what Paul does is he brings us over to look at everything again that God has accomplished. He's reviewing it. So my daughter Elena, almost two or three times a week, when I get home, she comes running at me, grabs me, hugs my legs, and... Daddy, 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 I got to show you something. I got to show you, I got to show you. Come with me. And she grabs my shirt, she grabs my jeans, and she starts dragging me to her room. And she says, close your eyes, close your eyes. No, 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 daddy, close your eyes. I got to show, I cleaned my room. Daddy, close your eyes. I got to show you. I got to show you. And she drags me to her room. And here I am. I know the routine. She's going to show me her room. And it's still going to be dirty. She's going to move some pillows around. She's going to put her blanket all crooked. And it's not going to be, it's not going to look that good. And there's still going to be makeup on the wall. And her drawers are going to be open. And there's still going to be clothes everywhere. And it's not going to be clean. And she's going to tell me. It's clean. And she's going to drag me over to look at her dirty room and tell me that it's clean. And so I go along with it. I walk and I stand in front of the door. And she says, okay, close your eyes. So I close my eyes. And she says, okay, Dad. Now, now I'm going to count to three and then you're going to open your eyes. And, and here I am. Okay, okay, baby, come on. Come on, man. I got to go. I'm hungry and I want to I have something to drink. And I want to I sit down. I've been on my feet. And okay, one. Okay, one, two. Yeah, two. Okay, three. Open your eyes. And every single time, I'm not amazed at what I see. It's not impressive. And yet, this is me. Parents, you know. What do you say? Wow. Listen, kids, if ever your parents say, wow, they're lying to you. <laughs> we're unimpressed. We just don't know what. We're so speechless. We're just saying the simplest thing. Wow. When, they, when your kids come up, I drew this. Wow. Daddy, look, that's you. Wow. I think we're wrestling with two things. Can I break this down for you? We are, in so many ways, Elena. Dragging our dad to come look at what we've accomplished. Been to church, 
I got an education. I stopped doing that thing that I told you I would stop doing. I'm doing other things, but I stopped doing that one thing. Um, Dad, come and look out and my life, and I'm, I'm serving at church now, and God, I'm doing this now. And, and, and we're dragging our God to look at our accomplishments, and I hate to break it to you, he's not impressed. To him, it's still messy. From, to him, it's not clean. Do you know what God demands from us is perfection? The Bible tells us that Jesus said that God wants us to be perfect. This is Jesus' words. That God is seeking perfection. Drag, and we believe that somehow our lives are us dragging God to what we've accomplished and him saying, wow, I, I guess, I guess I still love you. Really the truth is, is that nothing we can do can impress him. Because we each fail every single day. Because we each have our struggles and things in our lives that we're ashamed of. So really, it's the opposite. It's not us dragging God to this thing that we call our life that we think is fixed up and clean that really isn't. Let's be honest. It really isn't. As much as we try, as much as we work, as much effort as we put in, it really isn't. There's things we don't want no one to know. There are failures we don't want no one to see. And it's the, it's the drawers that are open and all the clothes that are still out. It's the closet that's filled with all the dirty laundry. It's, it's, the, it's the blankets that are uneven and just thrown there. And aren't you tired of trying to be impressive? Aren't you tired of trying to impress God? With what you know won't satisfy him. The Bible says it won't. So instead of us dragging God over to our accomplishments, Paul is dragging us to the work of God. And instead of it being us dragging God to see the room, Paul is dragging us to show us, look at everything that God has done. Look at everything that he's done for you and for me. Look at everything that God has accomplished for us. Your work doesn't matter anymore. All that you do doesn't matter. He's done it all. And that's hard for us to believe because we're so obsessed with our own effort. We're obsessed with what we bring we're obsessed with how we can add to what God has called us to do in this life. Each and every one of us, we struggle with this need to be impressive. And like I said last week, if we're not careful, the focus of our life and Christianity will no longer be the cross and it will become a ladder. The focus shifts from the cross and turns into a ladder and how, how hard we can climb and how much effort we can do to get approval from our God. But Paul is telling us it doesn't matter what you do. It's never going to amount up to something called perfection. 
So Jesus had to come. So Jesus came and Jesus lived a perfect life and he did it in your place so you didn't have to and he died for you to pay for your sins so that you didn't have to and he rose again in life so that you could then raise up again in life. And listen, I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy to understand. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. He says in verse 17, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. I love that little section there because the whole of the scripture before this is God giving us something. God, God picking us and choosing us even though we wouldn't pick ourselves and Jesus forgiving us of all of our sins through his blood and having full redemption because of Jesus. And, and then the Holy Spirit sealing us and making sure that our, that our place in heaven is guaranteed the moment we believed in Jesus. And yet here we have something else that we need. Wisdom. Paul says God has given you all of these things. He's, he's, he's picked you out of eternity. He selected you as his own. Even though he knows all of your failures, he says, I want you. Paul says, even though God picks you and you don't deserve it, he does more. He saves you through Jesus. He forgives all of your sins through his sacrifice. And then when you believe, it says in verse 13 and 14, then he seals you and guarantees eternity for you. The Bible says he does all of this, and yet, Paul says in verse 17, but there's still, you need more. He says, I'm praying that God give you more. Why is it important that God give us wisdom? Why is it important that God give us a revelation of this? Because what will happen to us if we don't know this stuff? Our life will be a continual just treadmill, trying and trying and working and working and, and trying to be good and failing and, and trying to get better and not quite doing it. And he says, no, I need, I need God to do something. I need him to open your eyes because you are working so much. You are trying so hard. You are doing things that you don't need to do anymore. You need to just live in the reality of who Jesus is. If you look what it says in Ephesians, it says that he may give you a spirit of wisdom, verse 17, and of revelation in what? In the knowledge of who? Him. He says, this is what he, I need you to understand, that it's about him. Because you're going to be so busy trying to make it about you. You're going to try so hard to make it about your efforts. Because as humans, we're conditioned to do this. We, we want to be, I'm going to keep saying it, impressive. We want to earn it. We want God to look and say, this is what I have done. Approve me. Our flesh is bitterly resistant to the words of Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. We love having skin in the game. We want to take credit for something. 
Look at where I came from and look at where I'm at now. I used to be this way and now I'm this way. We don't understand that the, that the level that God is looking for is perfection. And so because of that, Jesus has to be the focus. He says, I want God, I need God to do this for you or you're not going to get it. I need him to reveal this for you. One, two, three. Open your eyes. Paul is saying, let me, let me take you to what Jesus has done. You got to see it. Close your eyes. One, two, three. He did it all. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. All of your working and your striving and your diplomas, and all, it doesn't matter to him. Because you need a revelation in knowledge of him. So he's like, I'm praying that you get this. And church, I'm praying for you. Praying that you get this. Because when this, when you see it, when you understand it, it will change your life. And he says, I'm praying that you would come to a full understanding and knowledge of him that you would stop making this life about you and about what you do and about Jesus instead and what he accomplishes. Our life is wholly founded on what he did for us. Everything that we get is because he gave it for us. Who you are, your identity has nothing to do with you, but it's firmly anchored in Christ's accomplishment for you, not yours. When the Bible tells us these things and when he says, I need you to get this, it's because he knows that you're tempted to think that it's all about you. And it may not make a lot of sense, but I'll say it this way to you. The Bible says he loved us first. That's what it says. It says... He loved us while we were yet sinners. Inviting us into an understanding of a rescue mission that is expressed in a one-way love. That Jesus rescues us and pulls us out of the darkness of hell and pulls us out of the power of sin. And pulls us into eternity guaranteeing it because of his one way love. It's God's work for us from start to finish. We've been chosen. We've been graced. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been adopted. We've been sealed. We've, all of that. All of that, it's forged into eternity because of what Jesus has done for us, this is what we receive. We just receive it, not achieve. And we receive it because of, because of Jesus. And he says, I'm praying that you get this revelation. I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm dragging you to this stuff and I'm giving you this, this teaching and I'm, I'm trying to get you to one, two, three. See it. So then Paul says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
Paul says, this is a heart problem. The problem here is that you don't believe it in your heart because you don't understand it in your head. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Paul is speaking to these people and he's telling them, your heart has to accept this because your mind won't. You're going to try to make sense of it, and because it doesn't make sense, you're not going to accept it. And most of you are like, this doesn't make sense. It's too good to be true. How could he do this for me? How could he forgive me of all of my sins and yet forgive me of everything I'll do in the future and also make sure that no matter how egregious and terrible my sins are, I'm still locked in for heaven? It's like this. Think of it like this. I heard it said this way once. Um, a man walks into a bank, and he's got a massive debt, $10 million. And he walks into the bank knowing that he can't pay this debt. And the bank manager meets him and says, hey, just want to tell you, that debt that you could not pay, it's taken care of. Somebody came in, he doesn't want you to know who it is, but he came in and he paid your debt. He took care of it. All 10 million, it's gone. Now, me and you, if we had that kind of debt, I think we would be grateful. I think if someone came in and just, just took care of our debt, we would be grateful and happy and we would have joy in our heart. But, guys, it's better than that. Because it's not just that, it's not just that he paid our debt and now we're back at zero. Because eventually what will happen with us as sinners, is we'll fall back in debt again. How many of you believe in Jesus and yet struggle with sin? You are falling back in debt. So it's not just that Jesus paid our debt, that 10 million, and brought us back to zero, but then he deposits 50 million so that you'll never fall back in debt again. This is the God that we serve. He doesn't just take care of our debt. He then deposits righteousness into us so that we never fall into debt again. The Bible calls this imputed righteousness, meaning he injects it into you so that you never have to worry ever again. Even though you're going to fail, he's taking care of it. Does that make sense? This is why it doesn't make sense to us because we only think about paying our debt. We're back in the black. How many ever fallen negative before? Bunch of liars in here. <laughs> it feels good to get back in the black. Feels even better to be way over that. That's Jesus. That's what he does. That's what he accomplishes. That's what he hands you freely the moment you say, I believe in you. How crazy. It doesn't make sense. And listen, that's why Paul says, I'm praying that your heart would be accepting of this. Because here, it's not going to work. Quit trying to make it make sense. I have people that tell me this all the time. Make it make sense. Like, make this issue make sense. Hey, we can't make the gospel make sense. It's something that's unfathomable. the Bible says. It's something you, it's a mystery, the Bible says in Romans. The height and depth of God's love is something we cannot measure, the Bible says. The fact that a God who is holy and perfect would accept those who aren't holy and perfect and would sacrifice himself for those who are not holy and perfect and love us first doesn't make sense.
So, so quit, trying to, quit trying to convince yourself. Quit trying to make it make sense because it doesn't make sense. He goes, what you need, you got to feel it. Your heart, your heart is, these are facts, these are feelings. He says, this is the one time that you need to just be okay with, it feels good. So when people say, prove it to me. It just feels right. Because that's, that's, what, that's what this says. I just feel it. I feel free. The gospel, like I said a couple weeks ago, should feel like chains falling off, not chains being put on. And the fact that he pays your debt and then, in, and then inserts more money so that you would never fall into debt again. I hope that is the easiest picture and illustration that you can get to understand what it means for him to take care of your sins until the end of time. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That word is cardia in Greek. It's where we get the word cardiologist. It's heart. He goes, I'm praying that your hearts be open to this. So that you will know, he says, until your hearts are not open to this, until you're not ready to say, hey, it doesn't make sense in my mind, this, this gospel, until you're ready to just accept it in your heart and not in your head, then, 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 and then only, it says, will you know what? Hope. See, we're not peddling some cheap hope. You can have hope and hope in Jesus. No, 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 no. He says, this is hard. If you're going to have hope in this life, you're going to have to work through this stuff, he says. He says, the hope of his calling. He reveals three things in one and a half verses that he wants you to know. He summarizes it up. We're going to go through two really quickly. Just one and two. We'll save three for next week. He says, I, when you can let your heart receive and believe this, even though it doesn't make sense, then you will know. Then, I, I don't know why I don't know it, because you haven't let your heart accept it. That it's okay if you fail today. That it's okay if, if, if something happens in your life that you're ashamed of, he still loves you. It's at that point when it becomes real in your heart. Yes, I've been gone for 10 years, and yes, I've lived a crazy life, but he's still, when that finally, his love is that real, and it's in your heart, the Bible says, when that takes root, then you will know. We went around asking, why don't people have hope, and why don't people in church have real, we're not teaching them this stuff. So they don't have hope. So when things get bad, they break down. When they fail, they want to take their own life. When, when they make mistakes, they want to, they want to run and hide. And, and when they get depressed, they want to leave this earth because they said there's no hope. He says, if you only knew in your heart what Jesus did, you then would have hope. So it's not hope about finances and it's not hope about a car or a marriage or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a great career or kids that won't ever be sick or or a life that'll be free of trouble or or or, or disease in your body no 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 the only thing that will give you hope is what Jesus has done for you 
He says, if you know this, then you will have hope. The hope of what? His calling. What does that mean? The hope of, the hope of his calling. I'll tell you exactly what it means. He's, he's taking it back. He's taking it back. He says the hope of his calling. And he goes back to chapter 1. He takes us back to verses 3 through 6 where he reminds us that God calls us. That he predestines us. That even though we don't deserve it, he picks us out of eternity. And he makes us his. He said, when you understand the reality that back in the time before you were here, he picked you. He loved you. He saved you. That will be the catalyst for your hope. The hope of his calling. The fact that you were selected by the Father. That you were chosen by God. Paul wants us to open up our hearts to the hope of our calling. But he wants, he wants the hope of the calling to, to be something that we really hold on to. That he called me, that he loved me, that this is something that he's done for me. That will give you hope, the hope of his calling when he saved you. Then Paul moves on from there and he goes, I don't just want you to know the hope of his calling. I need you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's a tongue twister talking to Adrian a little bit earlier. I was like, is it me or am I just reading this wrong? Look at it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? He wants your heart to be enlightened because if, if, if he wants your heart to have this full intimacy with God. Remember, he said that earlier in verse 17. He said, I want you to have this knowledge of him. And that word knowledge in the Greek is actually a deep experiential knowledge. It's not just, hey, I know the facts about this person. I know the facts. You're 17. You live in Houston. No, intimacy, he says. When you come to this intimate knowledge of Jesus, when you know him well, your heart will be enlightened and you will know the hope of your calling. Then he says, but... Also, what are the riches of the glory of his, it doesn't sound right, of his inheritance, did Paul miswrite, in, in the saints. He wants us to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now I know that earlier in chapter 1, Paul said that you and I have an inheritance. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul said, you and I have something that God has given us because we are his children. He has an inheritance for us, and we can never lose that inheritance because we are his children. That's eternity. We have something that will be given to us, and we can't lose. It's eternity. But now look at this word. Look at what it says here. It says, you need to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance his inheritance remember we were in chapter one and we were, we were learning about position you are what you don't even remember oh my goodness you are in Christ in him this is the first time this scripture says in the saints 
Paul is saying, okay, it's, I've been trying to help you understand how you're in him, how you're always in him, and how because positionally you're in him, everything's going to be okay. But now it's saying that the inheritance is in you. The inheritance in the saints. Okay, I know it doesn't make sense. I'll just say it like this. You are his inheritance. You are what he's so excited to receive one day. Let that sit. He says, I need, if you would just open up your heart, this is what I want you to know. That he cannot wait. He cannot wait to receive you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Paul writes word after overlapping word to describe just how awesome God thinks you are. To him, your riches to him, being with you, our riches, to you, coming back to take you and us with him are the riches that he longs for. It, we, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What he's trying to tell us is that the wealth of riches that God is excited about is just being with you. That the wealth of the glorious riches that God wants to be a part of is coming back to take you with him. That God is so ready to come have you with him. That he loves you this much that all he's thinking about is the inheritance that he's going to possess one day. And that's you. And that's me. And the Bible says in Ephesians that Paul is trying to remind us that you, you, you're his prized possession. You're his prized possession. And you and me are his riches. And you and me are his wealth. And that all of the inheritance that God is so ready to come and get is located in us. That's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that we are this valuable to God. It's, it's almost impossible. It's too good to be true. You are valuable to God. You are, you are so valuable. He sees you as a future joy that he's going to receive. You are so valuable to him that he is anticipating the day that he gets to bring in his inheritance. Why is this, why, why does this matter? It's because, why does this matter to God? Because he purchased you. Because he purchased you so that he can inherit you. He paid for you through Jesus. And so because of that, you're valuable. And you, who you are right now. Ben, let's come on, let's come up and listen to this. 
with all of your struggles, with all of the things that you're ashamed of, how hard is it for you to believe that he's like really excited about you? How hard is it to believe that he really says, you're this valuable to me, that to me, you're my riches. See, to us, heaven, streets of gold, a mansion. When we think of heaven, we rarely think of time with God. We think of it as, what, what's my house going to look like? Emerald seas. And God says, that's nothing. The most beautiful thing that I'm anticipating is my time with you. Because you're my inheritance. And I cannot wait to cash in on my inheritance and to bring y'all in and to be with you because you're valuable to me. When you start seeing yourself as you are, as his most valued possession, things change. This is not easy to preach because it's not preachable. Because it doesn't make sense. This isn't me being here having some fancy way to present it. This is just the truth that our heart has to accept. That you are valuable. Now, I'll tell you, I'll explain it like this. I used to work at Old Navy back in the day. Loved getting the discounts at Old Navy. One day, they gave me what was called a price gun. And they told me, listen, be careful. Be careful what you do with this pricing gun. Because whatever you mark an item at Old Navy, we honor it. So be, make sure that you put the right price because if you put the wrong price and they bring it up to the register and it's a $50 pair of jeans and you put it for $5, we got to honor it. At that point, I realized the power I had with this little marking gun. Why? Because I got to choose the value. And every once in a while, I'm, I might have found a pair of jeans that I like. Nice little shirt. And I might have, you know, Change the number a little bit. Here's what I want you to get. Value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for. God, by sending Jesus to die for you, labeled you. Because of what Jesus did, a sticker was placed on, on you about your value. And if we're honest, you probably don't think you're worth that much. If we're honest, you, you don't really believe that he would do that for you. Because it's easier to believe that God is love than it is to believe that God loves me. Because I know me. Because I know my struggle. Because I know the things that I wrestle with. 
And yet the Bible says that you are valuable. So valuable that God sees you as the riches. The riches of his glory. That's you. That's me. And when Jesus came down and when he, he lived that perfect life and when he died for you and for me, when he rose again, he set a price tag on you that's irremovable. Your value is set. Doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what you might feel. Your value is set. And the Bible says that that payment was the blood of Jesus and that the blood of Jesus that sets the value for your life, you're worth everything to God. You're his inheritance. He so longs to have you. You're his. He purchased you. He did it all for you. And I'm praying that your heart would receive it. Even if it doesn't make sense here, Lord, can it make sense here? Because I think that it's in that moment, it says, you will know hope. So I'm praying for you that God would open up the eyes of your heart so that you would have hope. Real hope, not false hope, but real hope that's founded in everything that Jesus has done for us. Let's quit running on that treadmill. Quit trying to climb up that ladder. Let's quit trying to drag God to our accomplishments. And let's just, how about we just let Paul drag us to the accomplishments of Jesus? Because that's where all the value lies. And that's the most beautiful thing we could ever receive. Love y'all very much. I believe that this series is going to change so many of y'all's lives. And I thank y'all that y'all are coming, going to house church, you're getting connected think your lives will be forever impacted by this stuff. When I went to seminary and I learned it, I was never the same. I pray the same happens to you. Would you stand with me and we pray?